You're listening to the audio ministries of First Baptist Church of Troy, Texas. You're invited to join us for live and in-person morning worship every Sunday morning at 1045 a.m. Visit fbctroytx.org for a list of our activity times and family-centered community ministries. Now here's today's message. All right. Hey, uh, continuing on in our series, uh, Christmas for One for All. Uh, and uh, the last two Sundays, uh, we've, uh, we've looked at uh, two conversations in the book of Isaiah. The conversations were between God the Father and, and God the Son uh, before the incarnation, before Christ was born. Uh, and uh, if you miss those, you can go back on our live stream and you can catch those. And uh, uh, because everything is, we're kind of linking everything together here. Uh, and what we saw from those conversations is why Jesus came. And the reason he came, he came for one and the individual, and he came for all. He came for the world. And so today we're going to move into the New Testament, and we're going to be looking at two occasions in the life of Christ that illustrate the type of folks that Jesus came for. And so in your Bibles, you're going to need to find Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. Luke chapter 2 and Matthew chapter 2. And uh, what we're going to see is that these people that Jesus came for, uh, the common Jew would have never even considered that the Messiah would have come for these people. These were the last people on earth that they thought the Messiah would come for. Uh, In fact, these were people that the average Jew would have thought were cursed by God, that there's no way that God would want them in his presence. Now, one occurred, one of these occurred at his birth, and the other when he was just a toddler. And in these events, we see that that those that Jesus came for shows that he truly came for all. Now, hopefully you have found uh, Luke chapter 2. We're going to be there first. Luke chapter 2, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 20. 8 through 20 of Luke chapter 2. In the same region, shepherds were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. Then an angel of the Lord stood before, before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Don't be afraid, for look, I proclaim to you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today a Savior who is Messiah, the Lord, was born for you in the city of David. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in cloth and lying in a feeding trough. And suddenly there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angel praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people he favors. When the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they hurried off and found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the feeding trough. After seeing them, they reported the message they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. The shepherds returned, 
glorifying and praising God for all they had seen and heard, just as they had been told. The first thing that I want us to look at this morning is that Jesus came for the unworthy. Jesus came for the unworthy. What we find here in this scripture that we've just read, we have found that, that shepherds are sitting in the field watching over their sheep. Now the sheep that are in this field of Bethlehem is where the Passover lambs would have come. Passover lambs were... were uh, were uh, raised in the Bethlehem area. So you can already see that this is pointing to the cross. But they were sitting in the fields watching over their sheep, and we read this, and we think, oh, how nice, how quaint, how quiet. Isn't this such a nice picture? And, and, and in our minds, we picture nice, innocent young men sitting around watching the sheep, just, just working and... Killing time, maybe. I don't know. But folks, that isn't the case. The Jew of that day would have considered each and every one of these shepherds. We don't know how many there were, but we know there was more than one. But they would have considered, Jews of that day considered a shepherd as unworthy. Shepherds were actually the lowest class of Jewish society. You couldn't get much lower than them. And the last, thing, the last thing you would want your child to grow up to be would be a shepherd. Now, you look back in the Old Testament and you see David being a shepherd and all that. Shepherds had changed since the day of David, okay? Yeah, you didn't want your, your, your kids to grow up to be a shepherd. If one of these shepherds that night would have been called to court as a witness, they would have been considered unworthy to give a testimony. Shepherds were prohibited from giving a testimony in court because they were considered liars. Shepherds in that day were known as liars. If a sheep were to wander away and, and uh, get lost or be eaten by a uh, uh, a lion or a bear or whatever may be out there. And the owner of the sheep, the shepherds never owned the sheep. They worked for somebody. Uh, and if the owner of the sheep says, where's my sheep? That shepherd better have a real good explanation. And he better show that he himself, if that sheep got attacked by a lion or bear, that he himself got hurt by that lion or bear in order to save that sheep. Or if that sheep got lost, he, he just better leave the country because the penalty for losing a sheep was death because shepherds were known as thieves they were always stealing things that's what they were known as so the idea was if your life's on the line if you're going to have to pay with your life you're going to watch those sheep a whole lot better and you're not going to steal one of those sheep you're going to protect those sheep but not only that none of these shepherds that we see this night that Luke tells us about could enter the temple to worship God. Not one of them could do that. Remember, they're seen as lying, untrustworthy thieves. And in the eye of the Jew, they were considered as unclean and therefore unworthy to go into the temple. They were seen as unworthy of God's blessings. They were seen as unworthy of God's love. 
But who were the first persons that God proclaimed the birth of Jesus to? Shepherds. Let's try that again. Who was the first people that God proclaimed the birth of Jesus to? There you go. Shepherds. The most unworthy God found worthy to tell first. Who, who were the first to come and see and worship Jesus? Shepherds. Yeah. Those who were seen as unworthy to enter the temple were found worthy to enter into the presence of God incarnate, Jesus. Why? Why the shepherds? It's because Jesus came for those the world deems as unworthy. Man, have you ever, have you ever been made to feel unworthy or, or, or felt unworthy as a person? Man, have you ever been made to feel unworthy or, or maybe felt unworthy of God's love? If you have, Jesus came for you. He came for you because you are worthy. You're worthy because you are made in the image of God. Yes! You're worthy because even though some may not think you are worthy of being in their presence, God wants you in His presence for an eternity. And when you really think about it, aren't we all really unworthy of God's love because of the sin in our life? But the birth of Jesus is God's way of saying you are worthy. For one, for all. God says mankind through Jesus is worthy to be in His presence forever. Forever. Jesus came for the unworthy. But not only did that, but Jesus also came for the nobodies. For the nobodies. Turn, turn to Matthew chapter 2. Turn back a couple of, of books back to Matthew chapter 2. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 12. Verses 1 through 12 of Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of King Herod, wise men from the east arrived unexpectedly in Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born King of the Jews? For we saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was deeply disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. So he assembled all the chief priests and scribes of the people and asked them where the Messiah would be born. In Bethlehem of Judea, they told him, because this is what was written by the prophet. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the leaders of Judea, because out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then, shepherd, uh, then, then Herod secretly summoned the wise men and asked them the exact time the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. When you find him, report back to me so that I too can go and worship him. Yeah, it should have right there in parentheses, liar, liar, pants on fire. But anyway, that's, that's Harlan's deal. <laughs> After hearing the king, they went on their way, and there it was, the star they had seen in the east. It led them until it came and stopped above the place where the child was. 
When they saw the star, they were overjoyed beyond measure. Entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and and falling to their knees, they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they entered to their own country by another route. When we come to the story of the Magi, we see that Jesus is living in a house. It says that when they got to the house, okay, where the child was. This takes place, this story that we read there, takes place anywhere from one to two years after the birth of Christ. Uh, The Greek word that is used here for the word child is is one that designates a toddler, one who's just learned how to walk, a toddler. So this really is not a part of his birth. But somehow, I don't know, through the centuries, it has become a part of it. Both, if you've been here a while, you know how when you set up a nativity scene, when we would have a nativity scene in here, I would not let the wise men be there because they hadn't got there. They weren't there. That's not scriptural. But this has become a part of the birth story, if you will. I can just see it. Don't know where Joseph was. I asked Chris the other day, I said, where do you know where Joseph was in all this? Because he's not mentioned right here. He's probably probably out working, making a living uh, for his family. But... I can just see it in my mind's eye. Mary and Jesus is in the house. Jesus is just kind of toddling around, you know, just going around. Mary's maybe cooking food, and they they hear this commotion out front. What in the world is going on? They hear more commotion, more commotion. And, and Mary, Mary, hearing this, all this noise outside, goes to find out what it is, and she finds a bunch of magi in her yard. Now, we don't know how many magi there are. Those of you that have gone through my myths of Christmas know, nowhere does it say three. We just know there were three presents. You could have had a hundred bringing one, a hundred bringing another, and two bringing another. I don't know. All we know is that it is plural, and plural means it's more than one, so it could have only been two. It could have been 200. I don't know. Scripture doesn't tell us. It also doesn't say they were riding camels either, which you always see in the nativity scene. All you know is that magi are coming. They're coming. And they're bearing gifts for Jesus, the newborn king, the king of the Jews. And we say, wow, isn't this so cool? I mean, here we are, magi, wise men. These guys are coming uh, to see Jesus. What an honor. What a great thing this is. I mean, it just sounds so good. It sounds so wonderful. Uh, But folks, when you read this, uh, uh, Matthew was writing to the Jews. And the Jews would read it differently than what we read it. Because magi, these, these magi, what were these magi? They were Gentiles. They were Gentiles. And to the Jew, Gentiles were nobodies. A good Jew would never enter the house of a Gentile, nor would a good Jew allow a Gentile to enter into his house. To the Jew... Gentiles did not deserve to know the blessings of God. In fact, they didn't even deserve to be alive. They were nobodies. 
They were expendable. In fact, the daily prayer of the Jewish man of that day included thanking God that he was not born a Gentile. That was, that was included in the daily prayer. Yet we find on their knees, worshiping Jesus, nobodies. These magi. At his birth, God put a star in the sky to proclaim to the nobodies that somebody has been born. Now, I find it really interesting that the somebodies of that day, King Herod, the priests, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Levites, all the, all the somebodies of that day would not travel the three miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem to see Jesus. That's all it was, was three miles. They knew the star was there. They knew where Jesus was to be born. It says so right here. And yet they did nothing. Nothing. These somebodies of the world treated Jesus like a nobody. But God the Father invited those thought of as nobodies to come and meet the somebody, God the Son, and to worship Him. You see, to God, there is no such thing as a nobody. Get that. Let that whirl around a little bit. To God, there's no such thing as a nobody. Everybody is somebody to God. There's somebody because who knit them together in their mother's womb? God, right? There's somebody because we are all made in the image of God. And God's image is never a nobody, but always a somebody. But you know what? Satan will have you feel like a nobody. That's what he wants you to feel like. He wants you to feel like a nobody. He would have, he would have you to feel as if you don't deserve to exist. He would have you to think that you don't deserve anything good in life. He would have you to think that you're just taking up space. That's what Satan wants you to think. But the story of the Magi tells us that Jesus doesn't see you as a nobody, but he sees you as a somebody. You're somebody he loves. You're somebody he desires to bless. You're somebody worthy of worshiping him. And when you think about it, because of sin, doesn't God have the right to see all of mankind as nobodies? But He doesn't. Everybody is somebody to Him. You're a somebody. Everybody is a somebody. That's the message of the Magi. Jesus came for the nobodies. <laughs> for us. For us. Because I don't know, I'm looking around here. I don't think I see anybody, uh, if, if you are of Jewish descent, you're not full. I think we all be Gentile. And they would have thought us as nobodies. But God says, oh no, you're somebody. And I'm sending my son.
for you. As I was doing this sermon and I was getting ready to just kind of look at closing it out and doing some things, something else came to my mind. God just spoke to me and and I want to look at one more person that Jesus came for. I want to call this person the unworthy nobody. Not just unworthy, not just a nobody, but an unworthy nobody. A person, a young lady by the name of Mary. We look back at Mary and we see her in such a positive light. We see her as the mother of Jesus. We see her and we see her faith as, as she talks to the angel Gabriel. We see her as we look back. But we look back with eyes that don't see what we would have thought if we were a Jew of that day. Folks in her day would not have seen her in a positive light. The Jews would not have seen her in a positive light. First of all, she was a woman. She was a woman. As a woman, she was not worthy of a formal education. As a woman, she was not worthy of owning property. As a woman, just as the shepherds weren't, she was not worthy to give testimony in court. As a woman, she was not worthy to go into a court of the temple with the men. She had to stay outside in the court of the women. She couldn't go further in because she was unworthy. As a woman, she was considered unworthy. Remember that prayer of the Jewish man thanking God that he was not born a Gentile? That prayer also included him thanking God he was not born a woman. It would go, I thank you God I was not born a Gentile and a woman. Huh. Amen. Think of Mary. Out of wedlock, pregnant woman. She would have also been seen as a nobody. And her life would have been expendable. In fact, what should have happened to her, right? She should have been stoned to death according to Jewish law. As a woman, she would have been a nobody with no rights. As a woman in Jewish society, she was basically a nobody. The animals had a higher ranking than a woman did. But God looked down and He saw a precious somebody. And to the one the world would have seen as a worthless nobody, He sent this message. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. To the one the world would have seen as an unworthy nobody, God saw as somebody worthy of giving birth to His Son. So the story of Mary tells us is that 
no matter how unworthy the world may say you are, no matter how much of a nobody they would have you believe you are, that isn't how God sees you. God sees you as somebody who is worthy of His blessings and somebody He wants to do great and mighty things through. And it's because of Jesus that this happens. And through Jesus, the unworthy become worthy of eternal life with Him. And through Jesus, the nobodies become somebodies. They become members of God's family. And you can't get more somebody than that. Now you may be here, and you may be listening on our live stream, and you may say, oh, but that can't be true for me. Oh, yes, it is. That's the good news of the story of the shepherd. That's the good news of the story of the magi. That's the good news of the story of Mary. It's good news for one, for you, and for all the world. Let me ask you to bow your heads in prayer. I'll be honest with you, I don't know why this message, but this is what God laid on my heart as I was looking at this. And I think it's because, folks, too many times we're convinced we're nobodies. Too many times we're convinced we're unworthy. But Jesus says the other. Jesus says we are worthy, that we are somebody. And He came for us. And through Him, you can become worthy of eternal life. Through Him, you can become worthy of being a child a fa in the family of God through Jesus. Satan wants to make you think that God doesn't love you, that God doesn't want you. That's a lie from the pits of hell. God wants you. That's what Christmas is all about. Today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you just to pray this simple prayer. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Today, I'm asking you to become my Lord and Savior. I'm making you my Lord. I'm making you my boss. And from this day forward, I'm going to trust in you. From this day forward, I want to live for you. Thank you for seeing me as a worthy somebody, for coming for me. Now, if you'll pray that prayer, there's no magic in those words again. I keep saying that. I want to make sure people understand that. It's with the heart, whether you really mean it or not. I promise you, according to God's Word, your sins will be forgiven. And you'll become a part of the family of God. God came so nobody had to go to hell. God came because you're worthy. Today, if you prayed that prayer, man, we'd invite you during invitation time. Just get up, come down the aisle, take me by the hand, say, Preacher, I prayed that prayer. Maybe you want to know more. Just take me by the hand, say, I want to know more about it, and we'll get together. We'll set a time, get together, and we'll talk. But I want to ask you something, dear Christian friend. Considering that Jesus came for you and spilt the bl His blood for you, how can you live your life feeling like an unworthy nobody?
looking at what all he did for you. Maybe you need to come to this altar and just kneel, kneel and, and rededicate your life, recommit your life to him. When you realize that, man, he still sees you as somebody. He sees you as worthy. Would you do that? Recommitting your life if, man, looking at maybe how you've been living your life. You may be here today and you need a church home and we'd invite you to come if the Lord leads. Be a part of this church family as we do our best to worship the Lord the best we can. But while we'll never by leaving this place today and those watching us on live stream to leave is knowing there's somebody to God and you were seen as worthy enough to send a son to die so you would not have to go to hell. Thank you. We rejoice in that. Father God, Lord, during this invitation time, this is your invitation to us. Father, may your Holy Spirit just move in a mighty way, touching our hearts, speaking to us. Lord, I pray nobody would leave this place feeling like a nobody, feeling unworthy, that we would realize through Jesus we are somebody. Through Jesus, we are worthy. But Lord, may we give thanks for that. Holy Spirit, just move. Speak to us. And I thank you for what you're going to do. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We'd like to personally thank you for taking the time out of your day to hear our latest message. Do us a favor and send an email to outreach at fbctroytx.org to let us know that you heard us and what you thought of the message. Remember to visit fbctroytx.org to learn more about how we support our local community. Again, thank you for listening.